Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner. We are now into round three of season four. We're going to go through four different matchups today in our usual fashion. We will discuss the sequels, prequels or lack of, our own sequel ideas, what we love about the film, a nitpick from the film and potentially... The old favourite, a quote from the film that could be used as a Tinder bio or opening line. The films that we'll be covering today are The Raid 2, The Nice Guys, Heat, Jackie Brown, Scarface, Good Time, No Country for Old Men and Gone Girl. We will then reveal the results of the third round and look ahead to next week. Keenan, how are we doing today? <clears throat> yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all. That cough suggests you've got the same lurgy that I've got. I've had this for about three weeks. Jesus, don't tell me that. It's gone nowhere. <laughs> I don't need that smoke. Yeah, I'd imagine mine's probably exacerbated by smoke, smoking all the time. Probably. Mm. But without further ado, we will get into our first film of the day, and that is The Raid 2. On April 11, the action film phenomenon returns. Prepare to join the fight. The Raid 2, in cinemas April 11. The Raid 2, Keenan, in the usual fashion that we always do, prequels, sequels, or lack of. Now, we've already done the prequel to this. I think it made it to maybe the third round of our action bracket. It's been a favourite every time we've done it. I think as soon as we realised we were doing a crime bracket for this one, we were absolutely going to squeeze this one in. Something we did briefly cover in our Raid 2 first round podcast, there isn't going to be a Raid 3, unfortunately. Yeah, it's uh, probably unfortunate for, all, unfortunate for all involved. Although he did try, you've got to give, it, got to give him, um, can't remember his name now. Um, Gareth Evans. I knew he was Welsh, and I knew it was going to be Evans, but I was going to say Yeah. Um, so he said like a combination of the ending of the Raid 2 and... He was living in Indonesia. He chose to move back to the UK and he said that basically was the final straw for him to move on from the Raid 3. In a 2016 interview, he said, whether it was a conscious decision or not, moving back to the UK felt like a closing chapter on that franchise. We ended the story pretty neatly, I feel, in part two. He has said, though, his plan that he would have had for the Raid 3 would almost not have featured Rama at all. Rama would have walked out of the warehouse. He says he's done at the end of the raid too. And the film would have switched and would have focused more on the uh, Goto crime family who we see through the raid too and their Yakuza superiors. Which? Something that is still making me wish we could have seen this. The film would have been set almost entirely in the jungles of Indonesia. I think we could have finally had some redemption and I know people don't want to hear us criticise this. We could have finally seen a proper fight in the rainforest 
There isn't that one from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where they're sprinting across the trees. Some of the worst CGI we've seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks like out of Team America. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I remember reading it. I, I didn't reread it, actually, which it's also you I was preparing. But I remember reading it when we did the Raid 2 the first time around. And I really thought it was, I thought it was a cool idea. Um, I'd love to have seen him take it on. Yeah, it, it seemed they were going to kind of do the, you know, uh, almost Rocky style, flee into the mountains, we deal with things there, and then we can come back into the city and take care of business. And or it just I would have been liked, um, I would have liked it to, to or maybe, maybe they, I mean, they still could, but you wait 10 years, and then Brahma's got to come back for one last job. Doesn't want to, yeah. but his old boss pulls up, your country needs you, and then he goes out and just starts fucking shut up. Because we've spoken about it before, and we were largely uh, not very enthusiastic about the fact that we know this remake is being yeah. made. Um, but that has fallen through somewhat. Essentially, the rights owners and the original director fell okay. out. So it's now being directed by Patrick Hughes, and Frank Grillo is no longer the lead. I may have told you this previously when we did that film, actually. So... Patrick Hughes is the director of the Hitman's Bodyguard. Okay. So not the tone that you would associate one with the other. The side that owned the rights to the film are the side that are no longer making the film. So it's no longer an official remake and is just being described as based on the concept of the 2011 film, The Raid 1. Well, well you just do anything then, don't you? You, got, you can do anything there. I mean, Dread based on that concept to the towel block. Right? Yeah. Well, something that made more sense in terms of the remake when I saw this. So the rights to the remake were actually sold to fund the Raid 2. Oh, wow. So that makes more sense because we were questioning at the time, well, why are they allowing this? Why have they signed the rights over when they're clearly not going to be able to do as good of a job? There you go. And I guess this is the perfect one. They bought the rights, they're not using it. And they still got to finance the raid too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose also it's sort of all as well, but ends well. It's just um, like I said, I was just disappointed. We you wouldn't get this character as a, as a like this actor, this character, another spin at it. Because in terms of like our own sequel ideas, if Evans came to us and was like, "Look, I'm really struggling for ideas. I don't know what to do here." I'd fully just turn it into like just turn it into a Liam Neeson film. Just do the raid on a boat, the raid on a plane all sorts of shit raid on a train like probably start with raid on a train actually <laughs> I, I thought that it would be cool and I guess this is what the sequel was going to do in the way that John Wick has done it where they've just gradually opened up this universe more and more and more and as long as the violence stays the same we'd continue to watch If yeah I, yeah the story is the story to both films is inconsequential. You are actually just there to sit down and watch some of the best choreographed fight scenes you'll ever see. That's, that's what they are. And in terms of just expanding it, even like a video game, give me like a Tekken game where I can be mm-hmm. Mad Dog. And it just be unreal. Because the, the closest I've come to these films, and it's a foreign film as well, I think I texted you at the time, I watched... And it was called like We Own the Night or We Run the Night or something like that. And it has the guy that plays Rama in it. And the fight scenes were as close to that as I've seen. Just incredible. Mm. But I know Gareth Evans is doing Gangs of London and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Have you seen that? 
I haven't, but I know TK and Sean have, and they recommend the first season in particular I've very not highly. Seen the second yet, but the first series is great. It's well yeah. worth watching. If I ask you first, something that you love about Probably. this film? The fu- yeah, Any the particular? Where? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. In the mud. It's fucking meant it's raining. We love a fight scene in the rain. It's everything you want. And then we always speak about the kitchen fight, oh, yeah. don't we? Kitchen, kitchen fight, having a fight, fight in a fight, kitchen. Fights in the rain. And also, yeah, I think for a fight on a, on a plane, but that's just me. I always do the kind of planning for the pod while on air with you here. I do think for our final episode, as we've largely just gone through scorecards and things before, I think as we've had so many films, we'll split the kind of best scene into different categories and we'll have best fight, best drama, that kind of thing. And you've got to think any of the fight scenes in this film could be well up for the honour of kind of the best action scene that we've seen across this bracket. Yeah, yeah you'd have to, I think you'd have to, you've done that many films this bracket, mate, you'd have to be about two weeks planning. Hey, I've got things in motion already. Oh, you always do. I love that they were able to keep the the same feeling while expanding for the sequel because it would have been very easy to do and maybe this may be a horrible example but just like okay, a basement equivalent and they're just going down a hundred floors instead like they do for the first film and it's just a complete carbon copy and we've spoken before about the risk of the sequel. Do you go Hangover 2 style or do you go the complete opposite direction? Do you do the Hangover 2 or Hangover 3? This feels like a natural evolution. It's just kind of, if you go up the leagues and football manager and that budget goes up, this is, you just continue to spend the budget in the same way. And we get this incredible film where there's guys' face being burnt on griddle tops and there's car chases and there's these incredible prison fights and slow motion and just all of these things going on. It's just sublime. Yeah, it really is. Um Yeah. Do you do you prefer this to the first one? I was thinking this because if anyone walked past me, my lunch breaks this week have just been watching The Raid 2, basically. Um, I think I might do, but then if I watch the first one, then I'll automatically say, you know, I think that is better than the second one. Yeah, I, I actually it, it, I'd probably agree with you. I think mine would all be recency bias. I think what they do well is... So much of the first film was kind of that, whether you want to call it claustrophobic or maybe a lesser version of that, everything was just so contained because we knew it was, you're in this building, you weren't leaving this building. And so they give you the scenes like in the prison cell and uh, or in the car and things where it is still just so contained to this tiny area and the energy just transfers directly across. And we always like, don't we, when the sequel just picks up like seconds later. That's always fun. No, it's always a, it's a nice little trope when you get that. I love that there are guns around. We see them in the scene where they're shaking down drug dealers, but everyone just decides to use hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. with knives, scythes, hammers, and a metal baseball bat anyway. Yeah. Why not? It makes no sense, but for the purpose of the film... Makes no sense in perfect. any film. No, Why no. What like- well, we Usually, if you were going to do this, you would ignore the fact that guns exist almost. And so the fact that you get a scene where there's a guy who has uh, twin Uzis, it's like, okay, we've done the scene with that. And even still, it then develops to uh, people just chopping the shit out of each other. 
Do you you have any nitpicks? I I don't love that he walks away at the end. I've put I'd I'd have liked him to either get out clean or be killed. Be killed. Mm. What? Just one of the two. This feels like neither. No, it's definitely not clean that way. And obviously, it's we we know maybe they were setting up the third film, but. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I, I, after watching him go for all he goes for, I wouldn't have enjoyed him being killed. No, but you'd have liked him to maybe go back to his family. Or the little shot that that we hear was going to start the next film with him getting in the car outside, mm. and he's finally out. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a lover that he walks away. My my only real nitpick was the scene where we see the Hammer Girl for the first time. They're taking out the politicians. Mm. She stood at the end of a train carriage with a hammer in each hand. <laughs> Nobody bats an eyelid for so long until she takes a foot for a step forward. It's like she's playing a video game where you have to be at a certain point for it to kind of trigger the animations on everyone yeah. else. And then everyone starts legging it. So just bizarre. If if I'm on a tube in London or a bus on the way to work and there's someone on with two hammers, I'm getting the hell out of there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to hang around for too long. No, the second I see them, I'm not waiting for her to start taking steps forward. No. Also, she's quite small. I guess she's really athletic and just beats fuck out of people, but I also <laughs> feel like he's run straight at her. You might have to take a couple, but he'd probably be all right. There's a point in that where she puts the back of the hammer into his calf and she drags it down and she flicks it up at the end of it's his Achilles. Anything involved in Achilles, I want nothing to do with I want to watch, Do you have you ever seen and- Hostel? I've yeah, have yeah. Where your magic pops out and just snaps someone's a killer with a pair of like sheath, their sheath. That's um, I think that might be a house of wax. Is it? I think it is because it's. I believe it may be on Paris Hilton. Oh right, I'll take you away for it. But one of a film of that nature. I mean, basically, you one pops out of a cupboard and just snaps the fuck out someone's a killer. Yeah. And I remember watching it as a kid and be like, almost throwing up. I think he's scarping it. Yeah. It. She also pulls someone's spine out in that same scene, or at least dislodges it. So maybe that's why she uses the hammers and not a gun. Mm. Um, the baseball guy, he hits his metal baseball at someone in the back. They go down. I fucking hate this. And as he's walking up, he says, throw the ball back to me. Mm-hmm. The second the guy throws it away, he seems to regret it. In that situation, are you just taking your chance and just hoping that the guy goes to retrieve his ball, maybe? I'm sure you just keep it. I mean, it doesn't really matter what you do. They're like, yeah, he's flawed. Like you're fate sealed when you're like walking towards you after lashing a baseball at you. You're gone, you're, you're gone one way or another. Yeah, toast. And then it was very difficult this time around. It was, it was difficult with uh, action films a line from the film that does work as a Tinder buyer opening line. Um, one that may just sum up my efforts on there. Beho, the first lines of the film says, it's a question of ambition, really. Let me rephrase that. It's a matter of limitation and the importance of knowing yours. I do like that quote. I think that was the one that, I think that was the one that stuck with me when we did it the first time round. Says also crazy. Seems anyone can get in these days. Way back, this place had class. Mm-hmm. And today I'm offering you a gift, an opportunity, something that has never been given to. Please. 
way more of the uh, baggy angle there, though. So <laughs> I'm not sure you want to open with that. Anyway, let's move on to the nice guys. The first must-see film of the summer. Before we go solving the crime of the century, let's deal with the rotting corpse. Run. You're in the pool. I had to question the mermaids. What were you doing while I was working? Play that fucking music. The Nice Guys in cinemas now. The Nice Guys, not so long since we did this, actually. Prequels, sequels, or lack of, as we know, there is no sequel planned, unfortunately. Mm. As for sequel ideas, I wonder if you have any, and if you know where you would go with it. Um, where would I, t- I? I would keep it in the. I would keep it in the them trying to solve a murder, um, but them just running their little pro- investigation agency. Maybe almost. This was actually very similar to the first one, isn't it? But a, a Chinatown esque, where it would be, it would be quite similar to what we have. Those two, they're asked to look into something. They uncover a bigger conspiracy that unfolds and unfolds and unfolds. You get your twist, then it's done. I thought if you're keeping in line with a lot of the first film, Andrew Rice, who plays Gosling's daughter, is 22 at this point. Yeah. So I think you probably base the film around her being at college. Okay. Either she's gone missing and they're teaming up to find her, um, although I'm not sure the comedy still works if his daughter is missing. Mm. Alternatively, maybe she's trying to do the same job. Someone she knows goes missing and they're seeing who can crack the case first. I like that. Yeah, I don't mind that. Because they are going to have to acknowledge that, that she looks significantly older. Like They can probably still have her playing like a young teenager but the jokes don't hit the same. I guess it's like the two and a half men effect. The jokes that you can make when someone is like six change a lot in the couple of years. Yeah, I get you. What we love about this film, quite simply, Gosling and Crow. Correct. We need more buddy cop films. We did uh, Two Guns last week. I did a random generator to see which buddy cop films would be produced with just a list of a hundred of the most popular actors of the last uh, however many years. The Rock and Sean Bean was the favourite that was spat out. Yeah, would you you believe I'm not a fan of that? Not a fan of Sean Bean or you're not a fan of The Rock? Those two together. I think it was Paul Rudd and John Berntow was another one from memory. I'd take that. Uh, Tom Hardy and Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, what was the other one I think it was like Tom Cruise and John Cena but I don't make the rules I struggle to believe that John Cena is in a list of any given list of 100 popular actors but uh... popularity wise if you did on the IMDB thing I bet he's far more popular than most Mm, maybe you're right DC he is who he is, obviously, and he does the action films now. Yeah, maybe you're right, mate. Maybe you are correct. I don't. I reckon he's probably higher than someone like. Well, I reckon he's probably higher than Gosling if you looked on the list. Which is just a travesty. Yeah, but it just goes by interactions and. No, I get that. 
in terms of nitpicks, the only real one I had was that I thought they could have done more to build up that Doctor character and just make him a bit more menacing as the kind of lead henchman for the bad guy. I thought that would have been something they could have done more with. Yeah, he goes goes away quite quickly, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's just kind of introduced driving down there. Yeah. So that would be it, but other than that... I think a lot of it's probably done, though, not to steal any focus from Crow and Goslin. Yeah, that's fair. And then in terms of lines from the film, the standout is marriage is buying a house for someone you hate. But uh, again, not sure it really works within the criteria. Uh, It does, ironically. Gets you off on a bad foot, or maybe an honest foot. Maybe. Anyway, Heat, your favourite film, I believe? Up next. Second favourite film. Mm. Heat's up next. The cop. Full surveillance. Round the clock. The criminal. Assume they got our phones. Assume they got our houses. Assume they got us. The obsession. The bank is worth the risk. The confrontation. Give me all you got! On December 15th, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, a Michael Mann film. Heat, rated R, starts Friday, December 15th at a theater near you. Tough one here because we know the book has been written for the sequel, but I don't believe either of us have read it through yet. No, I haven't finished it. Okay. so Apologies because you were the one who bought it for me. Look, I bought it for myself and I've not read it It either. It makes me feel slightly better. Yeah. I always plan, I get into work at 7, I know it starts till quarter to 8, so I plan to read it in the morning, but reading at 7am, not for me. That kind of puts that out of the way. In terms of the sequel that we know is going to happen, whether it makes becomes a film or not, mm. it's not going to be Pacino and De Niro. No. Do you like the idea of someone else stepping into their shoes, or of Pacino and Kilmer, I guess, if it means finishing the story on screen? Or would you rather, if you want to know the story, read the book? Uh, if they were going to do it by film, I would, I would much prefer a prequel. Yeah, there's lots of new actors, though, again. Of course it? it does, but I think that would have been, yeah. might well have been the case if they would have done it in, say, 2000. Yeah. I'm a bit worried when you saw Pacino putting Timothy Chalamet forward for his role. Yeah, but there's a, like, it doesn't, that's, that's Pacino, but that's probably because he sees yeah. a lot, a young. I'm sure he's got that grisly voice. Yeah, it's a young, a young Pacino, though, so the, it does, I get, get the point, but my, um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen a, a, a prequel. How does Macaulay end up where he does? How does Hannah end up where he does? When does he... Do, do you get the bit where they are introduced to Kilmer? Because the way the film plays out, they've obviously known each other for a while, been boys for a long time. Could you do, if this was being done, say they had a sit-down with Michael Mann and he said, look, I've got this other idea, wrote the book, that's the story I originally envisioned, but... I could do something like uh, like a, a, a Die Hard, or I guess any cop film, and it's Pacino's character is coming out of retirement. He's been drawn into a case or something like that. Would you be able to get behind that more with Pacino coming back and playing the role? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you'd need that. It probably does become a bit of a buddy cop film because you... Might be a funny, but I can't have Al Pacino running in this one. No, no. <laughs> so you probably need someone else. 
Well, he could be more like a kind of Freeman in seven. Yeah. So he's the he's the brains, as you say, buddy. You know, I've been here before. This is what we do. Yeah. Probably going to have someone very enthusiastic there who he's having to kind of find the reins. Yeah, on. maybe it's another then, group of bank robbers who are incredibly successful, and they're like, "Oh, they then matches the mo. How did he catch them?" Yeah. You need to make sure if you get a secondary cop in though that it doesn't become comedic. Because he's had funny moments, but I would never associate it as like a buddy cop comedy or anything like that, or even a cop. No, movie. no, not at all. It was just an action film with some funny moments. No, I, I get that. And you are right, you have to. So it, the casting would be all important, wouldn't it? It would probably be someone, and I'm just going to chuck names off the top of my head here, someone like Shia LaBeouf. Ugh. I'm just trying to think of that middle range. I think is Miles Teller too. Miles Teller looks a bit too all American. I don't even think, I don't really even think it has to be someone of that age range. I think you should go and get Ethan Hawke. Okay, okay. I'd... Would it make sense though? Okay, so maybe the way you would frame it is this guy is very uh, resistant. He doesn't want the help because I've been doing this job for 20 years. I don't need your help. Maybe but it doesn't. It, it could be him, either Pacino implants him, plants himself, or he comes back to him as an old mentor and says, "Look, I need your help." Doesn't... Yeah, that's a good chat actually. That's I quite, I quite like that. It's whether Pacino doesn't seem to want to do too much pressured films anymore. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I get what you mean. So even that. Uh, like Hunter's show that he's doing on Prime. I don't know how concerned he is if that doesn't receive great critical acclaim, whereas he'd probably have to maybe go through some procedures, maybe the wrong word, but maybe some uh, methods and things that he's not had to tap into for a while if he was doing that character again. I I still think he definitely could. He's just still all in the locker, isn't it? Yeah. And then I guess it's... Do you think they would seek De Niro's blessing to do it? Uh, maybe. I mean, they don't have. To. They wouldn't have to, would they? Like, your character's no. dead on locker. I mean, in a list of strangely, in a list of characters that De Niro, De Niro's most well played for, it probably doesn't even crack his his top five. So, no, he's very. Uh, he's about as low key as De Niro can ever be. Yeah, well, it doesn't. You don't consider like if you're thinking of De Niro I I think of it but I imagine a lot of people don't what is the first one that comes to mind for you because I've just been asking myself that question uh, it's either this or it's Young Vita I think it probably is this to me yeah, yeah it's probably this Young young Vita Jake LaMotta Travis Bickle and the fifth one's a, like a really weird one my my relationship with Taxi Driver is a strange one. But you associate the, very strongly, you not with the character, but your associations to the character are very well, strong. So my relationship with it is kind of that I look at it and I look at everything on screen and feel like I should enjoy it more than I have. Yeah, but the character you know, like even before you, we had watched it. Oh, in terms of performance, yeah. I just mean with the film in general, yeah. my, my association with it is always one of... Uh, no, I get that. My my as when we did it on the pod, mine was 
wasn't too dissimilar, but I was just saying, if you think about De Niro, that's one you're going to think of early, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what do you love most about this film? L- like, literally all of it. I'm the wrong person to ask this question. To... Well, if you had to articulate it on paper, say a couple of bullet points. I like minute one, minute two, minute three. You've got to have something. So I've got down at, like, having two juggernauts on screen obviously one that sit down in particular i like how organized the chaos is when it happens i like the way that it's shot with the action scenes in particular and how real it feels i like that in comparison to the raid we get a very conclusive ending when we get there and i like it when he says sit down ralph i like the opening i like the part where I can't. I, I, they they try and kill. They try and kill Wingrove, and he escapes in the diner. <laughs> I love everything about Pacino in this film from the first time he appears on screen. I love the way he says "LAPD" and "So long, motherfucker." I love the fact that the action is the juice. She has a great She's ass. Got a great ass could work as a line from the film that works as an opening line on. You've Tinder. got your head all. The, not sure how far this. You've got in. your head all the way up it. Um. De Niro's uh, uh, like possibly his smoothest. Um, I, I think the ending's awesome, like the actual ending. Ending when they run through the air, airport, oh. where run for run run across the airport runway. My one of two nitpicks is actually with the ending. Oh, okay, I do actually have one that isn't the ending. I also love. I also love the fact that I told you I wasn't going back to jail, and I told you <laughs> yeah. if I had to put you down, I would. Unbelievable. Everything about the ending I like. I just, I don't know why there's not more blood in the ending. When the film has kind of been so unflinching before that, it's more of a cartoon comic book style death where you just close your eyes to show it's over. Yeah. I think that's to do, I actually think that's to do with the character though, because strangely, you're not strangely, but you are just meant to romanticize the villain in this. As much as you're meant to romanticize the villain. Doesn't he? It's like, it's like the bloodiest, messiest place he could have been shot. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. While keeping him alive. But then to counteract that, could you do the uh blur to credits if the guy's on the deck with blood pissing out of his stomach? And he wouldn't die that fast, would he, being shot in the stomach as well. So whether that's a nitpick or it works in the favour of the ending. No, I don't know. It's not it's not one I would take with it. I my might actually have two nitpicks. Um, we might have a similar one. Oh, okay. Uh, so the first, Go the on. first one is um, that Val Kilmer gets away. So sets up the second, doesn't it? But I can, we know that now, obviously. You what? We know now that it sets up the second. Oh, one. I know. I just mean that she says, "No, nah, it's not him." And the police are like, all right, mate, sweet, I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> yeah. Not just like, oh, any chance you just get your ID out? Because we, we happen to be looking for a bloke who'd be coming here. Just, just like... Well, we're going to speak about Gone Girl later, aren't we? Where they're like, are you sure this adds up? Well, obviously it adds up. Like, why would we look any further into this? Yeah. Uh, my other one is that somehow after one of the worst opening interactions ever, <laughs> De Niro still managed to pull this bird. That's the charm of De Niro. Yeah, what, what are you looking at, lady? Why you got to ask so many questions? <laughs> yeah. And also, how quickly that, she's like, yeah, right, sound New Zealand sounds awesome. Let's, let's do it. 
that's one of them. So again, the link to Gong Girl. You know, in the opening uh, questioning of Affleck's character, mm. where they're like, "Okay, so what does your wife like?" Like, if you ask her that question, she's like, um, <laughs> "I guess he likes to read." Yeah. He, he's don't really know that much else. He's about got him. a real interest in, in precious metals. That's literally <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah, that those were uh, the only nitpicks, and then the lines from the film. I mean, barbecues and ball games. Not sure it's the best opener in the world, but as far as some of these go, probably better than most. For me, the action is the juice. That's what you're leaving yeah, with. That's what I'm going with. It's better than don't have anything in your life <laughs> that you won't walk away from in thirty seconds when you see the heat <laughs> yeah. around the corner. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, but. Let's move on to one of the early films we did on the podcast, and that is Jackie Brown. A half million in cash is up for grabs, but who's playing who? Here we go. Rolling Stone magazine calls Jackie Brown a knockout. Roger Ebert raves it's one of the year's best movies. I'm impressed. Filled with Oscar-worthy performances, it's the funniest film of the holiday season. Booyah! Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Rated R. Jackie Brown. One, it's fair to say we were not unsure how we felt about it because I think we both came out of it saying we enjoyed it. But in terms of breaking it down, we did say it was one where, you know, like those paintings where you can't look at it from close. You do have to step back and see the whole thing. So I think we were both, and I'm thinking back here, slightly concerned after the first 45. Mm. Obviously, the film comes right the way back around. And this is a film they tell you this in the opening credits is an adaptation of someone else's work from tarantino it's an adaption of novelist elmore leonard's rum punch inspired by 1970s black black exploitation films according to the dvd commentary tarantino acquired the rights to three elmore leonard novels and this was what he was going to do after Pulp Fiction. Obviously, the pressure was massively on after Pulp Fiction. One of them was Run Punch, which was the sequel to the other book that he acquired called The Switch. And he acquired the 1970 set bomb thriller Freaky Deaky. And a Hitman drama called Kelsha, actually. So both Run Punch, obviously. The Switch and Killshot end up being made without Tarantino's involvement. But Rum Punch, there's an interview with Tarantino in 97. He says that he read this while doing Pulp Fiction and he immediately started crafting the film in his head. He put it down, he finishes Pulp Fiction and he just reads it again just because he enjoyed it the first time around. And he said he had the same vision in his head and that's what made him turn back around and do this film. Didn't know that. Yeah. The actual character in the books is a white 40-year-old woman who's smart, suave, three steps ahead of everyone else. Tarantino kept basically everything there, just makes her a black woman, and then he says, well, who does this fit best? And it's Pam Greer. He says, obviously, it had to be. Yeah, I get that. Foxy Brown, huh? Yeah, I read that the novel The Switch 
was actually turned into a film in the 2010s, I believe. It's done as kind of a crime comedy with Isla Fisher, Jennifer Aniston, Tim Robbins, and someone else. It's meant to be decent enough, but the characters of the police officers are in it, just played by someone else. A bit of a crossover there. And I think Michael Keaton cameos from memory. Yeah, okay. Sequel ideas, there's not really much, is there? No. Because you've got the outline of Jackie Brown, as you say, this person who's a couple of steps ahead, but it's not like she was a schemer in the way that she wanted to do this because she wanted to get rich and do all these other things. She did it almost to work her way out of the situation. So unless she runs out of money, maybe, and has to do something again, that's the only way I can really think about framing it. Or you do a spin-off with some of the characters from before, like Samuel L. Jackson, De Niro, because the first thing that I love is probably Samuel L. Jackson with a ponytail. Hmm. Better look than the one he's got in Pulp Fiction? No. No, I don't think so either. But still a good look. It is. The, my my favourite thing, the thing I love most about this film, is the chemistry between them. And it's, I mean, it's a good look for Samuel L. Jackson, to be fair. And not a bad one for him that you go back to back with having this chemistry with Travolta and you can jump straight in and have it with De Niro. Very good look for you in how you work with other people. Yeah. The one scene in particular, which was my favorite the first time around, is when they're in the bar after De Niro has just slept with Melanie. Mm. And he's bracing their relationship and he's saying, yeah, about Melanie, are you close? And he says, oh, I knew two minutes after I left the house that she was going to fuck you. <laughs> he was like, that's just how Melanie is. And he's like, and is she your girlfriend? And then a second De Niro smiles. He was like, so you didn't know if she was my girlfriend and you slept with her anyway. And De Niro's saying, well, I, I felt bad about it. I felt I was making sure. But the, the chemistry between them, the moment where De Niro just ices Melanie in the car park because she's getting on his nerves. The ruthless guy. Pam Greer, exceptional, obviously, yeah. but Bobby D and Samuel L. Jackson are the two that steal the show for me. I think Pam Greer is what I love about the film, you know. She's very good. Yeah, I, Max Cherry as well. Yeah, I just, I mean, from from I'd never, I knew who she was, but I'd never seen anything else that she was in. I only watched this for the first time when we did the pod. Um, and you watch it, just absolutely cut it up with like pure heavyweights and just smash it out of the park. Yeah. And that's quite cool. Well, she's, she says that this brought her career back. People had stopped making those kind of films and so they weren't really finding the roles mm. for her. They do this and she says she squeezed about another four years out of her career, which was more than she was expecting beforehand. That's cool. It is, it is quite cool. Cherry gets similar as well. Yeah. Any nitpicks about this film? Not not overly. This is... Mine would maybe be the pacing, if anything. I get you. This is just like, it just feels like Pete Tarantino still done it. Yeah, there's a there's a point in I think it may be the first time we see De Niro and Samuel L. Jackson together, and it's SLJ running back a TV advert mm. with just a proper muscled out woman firing a machine gun, and the Statue of Liberty firing a machine gun as well, and he knows the exact length of time he needs to fast forward for to get to the next one. Like he's obviously done this before and on to the next one. 
it's very good the little subtleties he has that feel normal for the characters the second you've seen them and you got the little chris tucker cameo as well yeah no issue with chris tucker whatsoever gets iced in the boot of a car there we go anything more to add on that and we'll move on to uh my favorite not particularly all right let's move on to scarface you first spot it in his eyes the ambition then you see it in his walk the power and you hear it in his voice the passion with the right woman i could go right to the top scarface al pacino is scarface he loved the american dream with a vengeance rated r starts friday december 9th at theaters everywhere scarface then keenan again something we've maybe covered previously there is no prequel to Scarface. There is no sequel to Scarface. Almost everyone that we had an interest in was killed off. Um, personally, I've got no interest in revisiting his son or his wife. And there was a sequel planned for a while that was being written by Cuban Link and was called Son of Tony, but thankfully it never materialized. For the last what seems to be about 10 years, the Cohen brothers are actually writing a script for a remake, mm. but nothing feels close currently. No, I, it's not a film that needs to be remade. Some things. No, just... but then the argument is always you can't gatekeep what is already a remake. That's fine. I understand that, but certain things just don't need to be done again, do they? No, I at least feel a bit more trusting with it being the Cohen brothers in the direction that they may take it and just what I assume will be the production value that comes alongside it. Initially, it was going to be Antoine Fuqua directing, and despite my enthusiasm for Trading Day and The Equalizer, I don't think we need to see Scarface approached in that way again, because you aren't going to do that better than the original. No, I I, I get what you're saying. Um, I do think possibly lending it to the Coen brothers is a mistake, but it's not my mistake to make. I just don't think they'll do that, but this version of it enough justice. Because if anything, you'd have to do a prequel probably. And a couple of ideas I had, you could maybe do something with Tony's time in Cuba, but you can't really have anyone but Pacino playing, which is the issue. A Sosa film you could maybe do. Maybe like a, a police movie with the other side and they're trying to take out Sosa, and they come across Tony as like a part of his operation, but it's just a small feature. So no, I don't think I don't think you I don't think people care about him enough. No, maybe, you, and probably the similar thing for you. Maybe you've got something with Frank, and he can come across Alvira, and the film can end as he's as he's explaining to his guys about a job that he needs done. And they say, you know, these these Cubans will take care of it. And I only like that suggestion for like one tiny thing. So it's a poor reason to want it made. I love like little crossover bits in film. Like, like you don't even need to reshoot anything. Final Destination and spoiler alert if anyone cares. Um, it's been out for God knows how long. Um, just skip 30 seconds. But I love the last film. And I assume you've not seen this. But it comes full loop. And so you think the film is set in the modern day. 
they've cheated death and in the same way these films always go they're getting on a plane at the end to go on holiday they look up and the guy from the first film starts screaming at the front of the plane this plane's going to go down and so it just brought everything full loop and i loved the way that it was stitched together i love things like that if it's something like when we've done uh, historical films i love it when they reference something that you would only know if maybe you've done some research or you know anything about the story in particular little things like that i do always love but the fact that it's gone down to those details for me shows maybe the slim pickings of what you can do it's not really the universe of the raid for example no no i don't again i just think not doesn't it doesn't help us whilst trying to record this podcast but i do think just in all sincerity this should just be left left alone do you have anything you particularly love about this film before I reel some off? Soundtrack, clothes, cars, yeah. houses, uh, Pacino, Pfeiffer. Can't remember his, can't, can't never remember his surname, but the guy who plays Manny. Is it Tony Bauer? Yeah, it's Stephen Bauer. There you Thanks go. I knew it was Stephen. Um, the Tiger, which I was saying, that's funny. Yeah. Um, with what you said about the house, mm. this this was the first film that I was properly obsessed with, and I spoke enough about that on a near three hour pod when we did it the first time around. Yeah. But I remember seeing a guy spend money like how I would want to spend money if I had it, and I, I spoke on a Monday pod ages ago, and we were doing during the pandemic things you would buy if you won the lottery, and we were putting the things to one side, like the obvious things, like the house and the car, and you know. And I always said that when I was younger, I'd like to buy, I don't know if you watched WWE when you were younger, the idea of the spinner belt that Edge had <laughs> was one of them things where I'd always go, okay, if I won the lottery, I'd love to be able to make the pointless purchases like that just because I can. We, uh, my, me and my brother, like, it was in our race for years, but we had the toy version of that. Yeah. I reckon um, me and my brother ate each other over the head with that countless times. <laughs> I like entirely saw myself as ridiculous as it sounds that like his idea of having made it was that he had this big house with the giant bathtub and he's got the three screens on the wall and he's got the sports on and he's got someone bringing him drinks. And if you actually ignore the situation that occurs in that, when he ends up screaming at his wife who says, well, and all sorts of things to him and his best friend, who's basically saying "Look, you're not having any more money out of my operation. Yeah. The idea of him that this is supposed to be like the peak before it starts going down. Mm-hmm. I've always loved that. The idea of that being his luxury and his paradise because cars don't really interest me. So this was just something that I could latch onto. And it's always that image just stuck in my head of uh, him there spread out with his arms either side, just watching before he flicks onto the uh, Pelicans. Yeah, I get you. I mean, I think I'd put that actually just by a tiger. Yeah. Well, we get the scenes with him chucking money about, but those just the scenes that got me. I, I love the guy seizing the opportunity. I love that he was uncompromising in how he was. Um, the scene where he meets Sosa and he's calling the shots. I always Google a white suit after I've watched it. And if I watch it anywhere between January to March, I have this vision of me on race week wearing the identical tony montana suit with the low buttons down the maroon collar thankfully i don't have the stones to pull that off so you don't have to worry about that on the tuesday but 
it's like a routine every time I see this film and I just look at this guy, it's like, this is the coolest guy in the world mm. in this moment. Okay. The bad guy scene as well is just cash money. Like, I'm just captivated every single time. Uh, and I always forget how much I love this film until I watch it again. No, I, I know you do. Uh, I tell you one time, Tony, don't fuck me. is one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah. I also then have to go and watch the, Scar- uh, the South Park interpretation of that yeah, scene yeah. before I can continue with the I film. I never like him. I've only got one thing in this life. My balls and my word. I don't break neither for nobody. Don't you ever try to fuck me, Eric? Don't try to fuck I tell you one time, don't fuck me, Tony. I never like him. Yeah. It... Do you have any nitpicks? I have 1.5. You have 1.5? Uh, I mean, I get what I... Some, I sort of appreciate why he does it, but I think Ice and his best mate is just a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. The, the, inc- the, yeah. the incest undertones as well. Well, yeah, link with that. I've got. I don't need that scene with Tony's sister walking towards him, essentially in the buff after he's killed Manny. Yeah. I don't need that. No, I get that. Because my other one was after hearing you describe it, I'm quite gutted that I never got to play the Scarface video game. Oh, mate, so sick. It was so sick. <laughs> I I often I often consider buying a PS just just trying to buy a PS2. And just just running out like seven or eight of my favorite games from when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I've had all week Chichi get the Yayo in my head <laughs> as well. I forget the guy's name after he's killed Frank, and the guys just stood there, and he's like, "Do you want a job?" Yeah. Aligned with the film that works, the Tinder buyer opening line. I don't know how many I always tell the truth, even when I lie. Is reeling in. Um, yeah. probably more than the only thing in this world that gives orders is balls say hello to my little friend <laughs> the obvious one but... there we go anything else to say on uh, Scott the world is yours maybe maybe you lead in the complete opposite way yeah it's true the world is yours first you get the money then you get the power then you get the woman anything more before we move on to good time no alright let's bounce Next? You're incredible, do you understand? Yeah. I'm serious. You think I could have done that without you standing next to me being strong? Are you feeling this? Are you feeling because I'm feeling right now? Yeah, I'm cold. You're cold? Yeah. Let's get to Virginia, man. Just keep your head now. Turn around. He's all right. We didn't do anything. Oh, get back here. So I told you about my brother, yeah? Something happened. I don't know exactly what. He's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. Oh my God, that's awful. Make me cool. Just got to get him out of there before something bad happens. Good time then. Keenum, one of the unexpected hits of this bracket so far. We, I always ask you on the last week, so I won't ask you here, your favorite film that you hadn't seen before. Mm. Um, this is certainly a contender for me. As for prequels, sequels, as I'm sure you can work out, there's nothing planned or happening as of right now. No, it makes sense. Pattinson's doing this small Batman thing. And uh, the Safdies are linking back up with Sandler again, so we can't complain about that. Yeah, it's nice. 
As for any ideas, I guess you could follow Connie to prison, but I'm not sure anything's going to cook the same way. I don't think so. But yeah, you could. Um, Maybe a prison... Do you want to see a prison break? I don't think you do. No, my, my other one, I guess in close circumstances, if you really wanted to go a different direction... Maybe the guy from the amusement park isn't being believed that he really worked there because obviously they change his clothes. They give him the LSD or whatever it is. Um, And he's being sent to a facility. He's trapped and you've got that kind of film again. Um, The guy from Captain Phillips, actually. Yeah. Those are the only real ways. Um, You can't do much with Benny Safdie's character. No. Uh, And so I'm not sure you're getting much change out of the young girl or the guy's mate who uh, falls out the window. No, I don't think so. In terms of what we love about the film, does anything come crashing back to mind for you? Pattinson's very good. Strange, really, because I don't actually think he'd be that good an actor, but it's probably the best I've ever seen him. I think sometimes they need something like this Mm. because he was doing the whole, like, just the way he was carrying himself. They say the story was that he was trying to go on public transport without being noticed, just merely by the demeanor he was carrying himself with. And that was his way of trying to get into character. And eventually, I think they say he was spotted by one person, which was a win for them. The ending is just as incredible now as it was the first time I saw it. And I remember discussing it with you at the time Mm. on here. And I remember you saying that it moved you, which you've not said about many on here. Told you I was sad when we watched Everest. There you go. So the ones we can pick out, they're few and far between. So this one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, there isn't a, there's not really a political, it's not really a PC way I can say it. Well, he's a handicapped person that seems to have the realisation of everything that's yeah, happened to him. If handicapped's the word, I'm not sure it is, it is but if something involves a handicapped person, there's a chance it absolutely rips up my heartstrings. Well, he he's, he attends this therapy session with several mm. other people and he's told to cross the room if you like candy, cross the room if you've ever been in love. And at the start, he's just staring into oblivion. He's not, it looks like he's not processing anything at all. And then I believe the next question is, uh, cross the room if you've ever been blamed for something that's not your mm-hmm. fault. And then cross the room if you ever felt angry. And you compare it to the opening scene where he's dragged out of the therapy yeah. session by his brother. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it is. It's really hard. It's quite hard, actually. Yeah. And it's such a contrast to the rest of the film, which is so manic, is probably the best word to use to describe it. He's like running for his life the entire yeah. film. And I think the point that trying to make because we see him in the back of the uh, police squadron at that point I don't think we're supposed to see Connie as a bad guy or at least not an entirely bad guy I think we're supposed to believe that in his mind he's doing the right thing and the question we have is whether Nick is better off without him because he's now he's without his grandma the whole point at the start of the film was that he responded to his grandma. He doesn't have the emotional intelligence and he'd uh, attacked mm. her. And whether Connie was the only one who properly understood him because Nick is now stuck in something that 
we don't believe you wanted to be a part of. He was crying in the first session. Mm. The other thing is just the soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack is good. The the genius of the Safdie brothers in this, and they do it a similar way, more toned down in Uncut Gems, is they have a curated kind of electronic soundtrack with uh, a guy called uh, Oniotrix, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. They bring in Iggy Pop for the main yeah. theme. And they say the way they came up with this soundtrack is they basically gave him a mood board that just featured images from just completely unrelated stuff and then asked him to capture what what they see. And it had like a picture of SpongeBob and then some like weird heist imagery and then some explosions and just all of these things meshed in together. And then you've got this like colorful aesthetic, which is really beautiful the whole way through, like the neon. And I think that's what, when it used to be on Netflix, it's another film that's just been a victim to the culling of uh, all the streaming services. It used to even just proper light up the screen on there if you selected it with everything. Um, And I hope a lot of people went to see what Pattinson has done previously after watching Batman and maybe this film got some more love because you usually get onto me when I say this, but I, I do believe this is one of, I say the few, the, the few masterpieces that I tag, I, I can't really fault this film at all. Sorry, just say that again for me, the few. Masterpieces that I would tag, I would oh, tag yeah. this is uh, within that bracket. <laughs> uh, still funny. I, I, I can't pick any real fault with this. <laughs> the only issue I have is that the family was just far too accepting when letting him in the house. Correct. They are. It's that small town niceness. But other than that, I've got everything. The scene where he's breaking him out of hospital is so tense. <laughs> I just want to see more from the Safties. Like, I wish they could have like four films going at the same time in which they could all be of the same standard because between this and Uncut Gems, it's like they're just nailing 100% from three. And yeah, I can't wait to see what's next. Fair enough. Any nitpicks that you would add, or anything in particular that you like that you would add? No, I love it. Like I said, I love the ending. I think that's superb. I do think how it's shot and how it's acted out is is fantastic. Um, I'm not a lover of the beginning, actually. It's a tough one to sell to other people, isn't it, without ruining the film? Say again, sorry. It's a tough one to kind of sell to other people. Like if you're convincing someone else to watch this, I feel like you're taking away from some of the beauty of it if you prep someone for what they're about to watch. Uh, I'd say it's very accurate. Because if you just sell it as a heist film, it doesn't really work. If you sell it as kind of an action on the go film, then I think you're taking something away from it. There's just a lot more to it, which doesn't really fit into anything in particular. No, but I think that's very much part of his charm, isn't it? Yeah, just me. Just a hard one to sell to someone. Because someone tried selling it to me and I didn't watch it until we did this podcast. And so. No, I do think. Apologies to them. It is a hard sell, yeah. But so often. I remember telling my brother to watch it. Yeah, and he just had a look. I was like, I'll I'll probably watch someone else. Uh, If not for the pod, I probably would have arrived at the same conclusion. Well, let's move on to the next film, which is No Country for Old Men. 
America's critics agree the most exciting movie of the year has arrived. Call it. There's no movie more eye-popping. No movie more mind-blowing. Can't stop what's coming. No movie more spellbinding. You know how this is gonna turn out, don't you? Nope. I think you do. And No Country for Old Men. Rated R. Now playing. No Country for Old Men. Much like many tonight, Keen, and it's not... I think last time we did this, there were a lot more sequels in the pipeline. Nothing written or planned for No Country for Old Men. Yeah, you can see why, though. Yeah. Because even when trying to create our own sequel ideas, I find it so tough because the way the character of uh, Shigur is presented means that you couldn't have like a narrative based around him. I don't think he can be your main guy. He's almost like supernatural. He's just like a presence in the film. Like to explain him is to detract away from the character. I think I'd still see us. I think I'd see a prequel though. Where to see so, where he came from. Well, he, they reference it in the film, and I believe we did this on the initial podcast, with that he did serve in Vietnam, and something supposedly flicked a switch there. But I don't know how much you can get out of that, because you'd have to be... We did a thing where we spoke about the Dharma TV show, which I can't believe won uh, like a BAFTA or something like that. Um, but we were speaking about like some evil you shouldn't explain. Yeah. I feel like this is kind of like that. I feel like the whole allure of the character is that he's just like a video game boss. Like he doesn't have any feelings. Uh, I get your point. I'd still be interested to see how it came about. That's just a personal thing. I think you would maybe have to be seeing how Sheriff Bell deals with retirement. Or like Sicario 2, where they stick with the theme of the cartel, but it's different characters. I wouldn't enjoy that. No, but I'm just... If you this is if you had to do a sequel, then the different directions they could go, yeah, or maybe something on kind of that agency that employed Woody Harrelson's character and had him crossing over with Shigeru in the first place, mm, maybe. Even just like a GTA game with Shigeru, no story, just you get to be him, just going around the city, just icing people, would be as fun as anything I've played. Okay. Just have like a cheat code on GTA. You can switch on and you can be him with his little, whatever that is, air gun thing. And just make your way around. Are you getting the Harry Potter game, by the way? Uh, I doubt it. I heard very good things. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not interested enough to spend the money on it. 65. Yeah. I've got it, but I've not played it yet. Oh, well. But I'd wait till the weekend because I feel like a game like that, you need to give it like a, a two hours mm. on it to kind of kick off. And I was like half an hour, I wasn't going to do the job. Um, but I just saw a clip where you can just go around just doing like death curses on random people. <clears throat> Sound. We'll see, how, we'll see how that goes. In terms of what we love about the film, I've mentioned him previously there. I've said consistently that Shigur is one of the greatest villains of all time just pure evil. Yeah. What do you particularly love about this film? Yeah, I'd agree wholly with that, mate. It's the first thing you think of when you think about this film. Isn't it? Yeah, the, the the scene and the built-in tension at the motel when Moss is just sat in his room looking for the shadow underneath the door. 
and the handle comes flying through into his shoulder. The moustache on Brolin, by the way, deserves a mention as well. Um, I'd say how unflinching the film is in general. Like the pacing is probably slow by all accounts, but the feeling of the film, the aura around it keeps you gripped. Uh, it does, yeah, you're right. It is a slow film, but I think... I sort of think... It, it's, only like, it's only like an hour 48 or something like that. Yeah, but I do think for Chigurh to be effective, it has to be slow. Everything has to move. Yeah. Not to him. I suppose for him, I suppose, is is it if everything else was manic and he was just there, I don't think it would work as well. Or maybe it would, and he would be even more of a contrast. But I do think the pacing makes him so effective. Yeah. Uh, upon reflection, I quite like it. I'm interested in your thoughts on how you feel it's aged with not showing Moss being killed. I, I don't mind. Like, There's so many other examples of it about not showing something of things being implied. I, I don't mind. I don't think everything has to be explicit. That's how it's written in the book as well. Okay. Um, and that, sorry. Go on. No, go on. I was going to move on and say the, the, the coin flip scene as well, just to mention another, is as iconic as any that we've done during this podcast. Yeah, very true. Because that guy, I think we said this last time, the guy opposite working in the gas station deserves as much credit as Bardem in that scene because he is... Very, very good. Unbelievable. No, I, I don't know. Do you have any nitpicks? Um, I'm not sure. I feel like more people should have been looking for Sugar after he blew up the pharmacy. <laughs> like There should be a pretty good description of him with the sheriffs. Well, you think so? He's quite a unique looking chap. <laughs> yeah, that barnet. Yeah, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen it actually. And a line from the film that works as a Tinder buyer opening line. How would you feel if someone opened with you? You should admit your situation. There would be more dignity in it. Not ideal. Um, <laughs> how would you feel if someone opened with what's the most you've ever lost on a co- on a coin toss? I'd probably try and work it out first, but I don't think I've bet on a coin toss before. Um, actually, the Super Bowl I have, so <laughs> probably about a tenner. Yeah, fair. At least you've got an answer. There's one as well um, where Bell says, I always figured when I got older, God would sort of come into my life somehow, and he didn't. I don't blame him. If I was him, I'd have the same opinion of me that he does. No, very fair. Yeah, this this is one where I feel I appreciate it more every time I watch it. It is a very, very good film. I'll have to have a look, but where it was up against in the last round, I didn't see that going the way that it went, which we'll reveal in about 10 minutes. But we'll move on to our final film of the day, and that is Gone Girl. Amy lost a lot of blood in there. And then somebody mopped it up. Well, why do they mop up the blood if they're trying to stage a crime scene? If this girl doesn't show up, this could get out of hand. Have you told me everything? We don't know who or what was scaring her. What in God's name is at your father's house, Nick? Your wife is missing and you came all this way. Well, I thought there might be another side to this story. Where's your wife, Nick? You ever hear the expression, the simplest answer is often the correct one? Actually, I've never found that to be true. Gone Girl. Rated R. October 3rd. Last but not least, then, Gone Girl. Do you have some info on a prequel sequel for this one? So 
It's now over 10 years since Gone Girl, the book, was released. And author Gillian Flynn says she'd be surprised if she didn't write a sequel. Hmm. She says, I will fully admit that now that the child would have been born 10 years ago, once that child hits 13, 14 in real time, I may indeed want to go back in and update and play around with what the hell would have happened once Amy became a mum, because that is the stuff of wonderful gothic nightmares, I think. Probably true. I would say I'm a little more sure than never say never. I think I would be surprised if I didn't, to be honest, but don't hold me to it. I do think it'd be fun to play in real time and I'd be ready by then to revisit them. I'd have enough space from Nick and Amy to go back in and get what and get what that's like as the true nuclear bomb family. Hmm. Rosamund Pike and Tyler Perry have both said they'd be interested in returning if Flynn did write Gone Girl 2. No word on Affleck? No. Shame. And she says, yeah, again, it, it makes sense to let Affleck and Pike age a little bit. Obviously, Hollywood stars don't age the same as others. I imagine the way Affleck's aging has slowed down since he got back with Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez. Well, he was Giovanna Diarmas before, so I can't imagine he was uh, aging too quickly before that. The big question is whether David Fincher would return. Mm, yeah, I suppose so. I, I think probably. He's never directed a sequel to his own work. But I believe he did two of the uh, Girl with a Dragon tattoo films. Mm. Um, so he basically says, unless he really loves the story, then he would pass on it. So pressure on Gillian Flynn. Yeah, very much so. If you're Gillian Flynn, and I mean, that's a big question to ask you on a Thursday evening. Would you jump straight to writing a screenplay or would you write the novel, have that be released and then adapt the screenplay afterwards? Uh, I'd write the novel. Get the double. No, line. no, no. Just because it was the format the first one was released in. <clears throat> Excuse uh, me. I wonder if there's any other direction you could take it because could you ever imagine Amy like slipping up and getting caught? I'm not sure you want to see that though. No, the only loose end that was out there was the guys from the trailer park that discovered who yeah, she was. Yeah. But Gillian Flynn herself said, look, the initial ending was that they were going to come back and expose it. And then she said, it's far more likely that she would kill them before they even had the yeah. chance than let them expose her. Yeah, she ain't putting all that work in to be done done by two fucking Egypts. Yeah. And in terms of what we've seen recently, you could maybe go the scream direction, have a copycat killer, maybe in like the Netflix age that there are all these kind of conspiracy theories about the legitimacy of her story and she's having to deal with that. There's a lot of ways you could go around it. I like the Netflix one. Yeah, because I mean as we've seen recently in more tragic circumstances, everyone thinks they are a couch detective yes. now. And so you have to imagine people would be picking that apart. Look, she just randomly comes back, gets back with uh, the husband. I mean, he, he's probably going to take most of it, to yeah. be fair. Or they're going to say, no, they're in it for the cash together and all of these yeah, things. Fair. In terms of what we loved, do you have anything to lead off with? The, the twist when I watched it for the very first time. Yeah, I knew yeah. nothing about this. Um, Agreed, and that's rare for you as well. Yeah, I knew nothing about this. It was a pop culture phenomenon that passed me by. Also, quite rare. Um, the the pump fake to set up the reveal is an all time. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, 
that monologue reveal is just fantastic. Yeah. I've been watching a load of Joey Diaz today, and so I've just like the word tremendous. Hmm. I just keep having my brain go to say it, and I'm having to kind of peel back. No, it's um, but it's just, I mean, it's as good as that, a good an adjective as anything I'll put to it, mate. Yeah. Like, it is phenomenal. She is just like one-off performances. Yeah. <sighs> no, I don't want to over oversell it. It's not like it's not a top ten. Do you know what I mean? But just, I'd never really seen her in. I don't think I'd ever really seen her in anything either. I also think if someone said it was in their top ten, you wouldn't immediately jump down then down their throat and be like, whoa, "No, no, no, whoa, I whoa. get you." I don't, but I don't. But oh yeah, it's the best thing because it's not. But fucking hell, it is outrageously good. She is on fire for every second she is on screen. And like you say, even when she's not physically on screen, it's just the voiceover. She is just superb. She is, and I think it might be the British accent. Like, it might be the posh accent, and maybe that's why I can imagine it as a villain so much, is because of my own cynicism towards, towards towards the upper class. But she, um, it's just phenomenal for every second. It's so chilling. I like, I do, I will say, yeah, I, I, I think I prefer a calculated villain to a psychopath. Yeah. I love a method to the madness. I'm not sure that's always well, true, we but I do think sometimes it really is. We did. Well, the, the danger is that when you explain them, then we can be turned off by the explanation. And because so happens on this time, they've just yeah, nailed of course it. can because that's when people start picking nits in it, and it becomes less clever because you over-explain stuff. We did Primal Fear a couple of weeks back, obviously, mm. and uh, we spoke then about just the shift in Ed Norton's yeah. voice, and she does that here when she says basically amazing fucking Amy and she goes down that list of saying all these things about what she'd do to her yeah. husband. You think you could do this to me kind of thing. Just this this slight more intention in her voice, it just kicks yeah. it up. And it's one of them in the cinema where you're almost like, how the hell did I not see this I remember coming? Being fully, I you think I said it, it when we did it on the pod the first time, but I remember being fully shook. It's probably the most, yeah. I mean, admittedly a lot of twists have been in cinema have been spoiled for me, but... Um, I reckon that's probably this is probably the biggest I've ever been shook. Yeah, the the intensity, like the frustration at everything that goes on during the film, the frustration at the ending, like it's a good ending, but you're like, oh, you want to see her get her comeuppance? See, I don't. I once it's finished, I'm like, okay, that's the perfect way to end it. At the time, I think I'm always rooting for. This, I think I did it when we some did. levels of malevolence just deserve to be gotten away with. The Fugitive, I think I said. I like the, I know you got done, but then once I've taken a step back, then I can say, okay, that was actually perfect. Yeah. Because you've been made to feel helpless the whole film. Why, why stop now? Exactly. Because I would probably hate it if they wrapped it up. He just said, no, no, hang on a minute. That isn't what happened. And then all the police went, oh, you know what? Actually, no, that makes perfect yeah. sense. I wouldn't like that either. My only nitpick would be, I guess, the way they do just believe the story. But I guess that is kind of the point they're driving home. Oh, uh, yeah, it's mine as well. Maybe for a sequel, you, I don't know how you do it, but maybe... Uh, I don't think we Well, because the chief officer is sceptical, yeah. isn't she? And she's basically told to, like, shut up, we, we yeah, solved the case. Yeah, this is a win, just let, let it be. But maybe you, if you were doing it, just Affleck trying to find, like, a kid checking in and Affleck just trying to find a way to expose, to expose it on the sly. A little bit of an enemy of the state one. Yeah, yeah, really like it. So anyway, that is us finished for the day with our matchups. I will now tell you where we stand on 
each of them from last week. I'll just run through these quickly because, I mean, there's like 16 of the matchups. Um, the Godfather defeated Basic, Basic Instinct 10-6. Seven defeated Sicario 6-4. I was surprised by that, to be honest. Um, didn't think you liked uh, Seven. Oh, I gave an honest review. Training Day battered Catch Me If You Can 10-2. The Departed ran through Taxi Driver 13-3. Scarface, look, good time was able to get one on the board, but uphill battle from the start there. The Raid snuck past the nice guys. This came down to the preference vote, and it was 5-4 in the end, I believe, from memory. I have to get the scorecards back. Heat, easy work of Jackie Brown, 11-2. No Country for Old Men snuck past Gone Girl. Five four, and that really surprised mm. me. Um, Goodfellas smoked the Silence of the Lambs. Ten three, Knives Out again, the closest one of uh, the round. Four three, past drives for Knives Out. Um, in terms of how similar our scorecards were, essentially the closer to sixteen the number is combined is how aligned we've been on each pick. So for four three. You can see uh, how that went down. No, oh, so we weren't very aligned. No, we were split for the majority. Mm. Uh, Pulp Fiction, a Bronx Tale. Pulp Fiction goes through seven five. Oh, sure. uh, had a new appreciation for a Bronx Tale after listening to Chaz Parmentarion with Joey Diaz earlier this week. Uh, I texted you about the episode actually. The town snuck past Shawshank seven six. The Godfather Part 2, again, rounders was up against it, 7-3. Zodiac, Blitz Limitless, 12-4. Wolf of Wall Street, tough matchup against Fight Club, but goes through 8-6. And The Usual Suspects goes through 7-4 over Casino. Casino fighting a losing battle when it came down to uh, MVP and best villain there. And it was uh, an uphill battle from there. The fixtures for the next round then, I'll run through these. The Godfather vs. Seven, Trading Day vs. The Departed, Scarface The Raid 2, Heat No Country for Old Men, Goodfellas Knives Out, Pulp Fiction vs. The Town, Godfather Part 2 vs. Zodiac, and Wolf of Wall Street vs. The Usual Suspects. Any of those stand out to you? Same for me again. There was a couple. Sorry, I got distracted. The Godfather vs. Seven, Trading Day vs. The Departed. surely. Yeah. Scarface The Raid 2, Heat, No Country for Old oh, Men. Goodfellas, Knives yeah. Out. Pulp Fiction versus The Town. That'll be an interesting one for you, considering your love for both. Yeah, Godfather Part 2 versus Zodiac and Wolf of Wall Street versus The Usual Suspect. That's quite a nice one. That is. So uh, I think I watched I watched like six films back this week and then we done The Nice Guys recently and I'd watched Heat like a fortnight ago, so busy week. Um Next week, we'll be doing a similar format to this, and I can tell you the films will be going through. Seven, The Departed, Goodfellas, Knives Out, The Town, Wolf of Wall Street, The Usual Suspects, and Pulp Fiction. So, you don't want to do Trainer then? Well, I did it. We did it at like a two and a half hour episode on it like two weeks ago. So, just um, we did sequel ideas and that kind of thing there as well. Okay. so yeah, next week we'll be going through those matchups. I'll reveal the cards 
And then the week after will be the finals. We'll have the semifinals, the final, and the awards ceremony. So we'll see how that goes. Thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We will be back. Adios.